Chapter thirty seven of Sixty Years in Southern California, eighteen fifty three to nineteen thirteen by Harris Newmark. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K. Hand. Chapter thirty seven Repetto and the Lawyers, eighteen eighty five to eighteen eighty seven. Ten or twelve months after the starting of the first cable railway here, Los Angeles in eighteen eighty five resumed the march of progress this time with an electric streetcar line. Poles, with huge arms stretching out into the middle of the street and often spoken derisively as gallows poles, and wires were strung along Los Angeles and San Pedro streets, down Maple Avenue to Pico Street, and thence westward to what was known as the Electric Homestead Tract, just outside of the city limits. A company owned much land not likely to be sold in a hurry, and to exploit the same rapidly the owners built the road f h howland who introduced the electric light here was a prime mover in this project but ill fortune attended his efforts and he died a poor man on january eleventh my wife and i left for a trip to the city of mexico where we spent four or five days and were pleasantly entertained before going to the new orleans exposition by our old friend judge ignacio sepulveda and his wife previous to crossing the border we stored our trunks in el paso and received them upon our return strapped as before some valuables however which i had hidden away in the linen were missing when i reopened the trunk and have never been recovered among other companions on this outing were fred son of j m griffith and james s son of jonathan s slosson by the by james himself has an honorable public career having served in one of his activities as president of the chamber of commerce early in march i believe sewing was first introduced into the public schools of los angeles the board of education consenting to it only as an experiment two celebrities divided the honors in the spring and summer in local circles United States Senator John Sherman, who visited Los Angeles on May 8, 1885, and Sir Arthur Sullivan, the distinguished English composer of Pinafore and Mikado fame, who tarried near the ocean in the hot days of August. About 1885, a Dr. Sketchley, who enjoyed some reputation for his work in the natural history field and had been a traveler through many remote countries, brought to Los Angeles quite a collection of ostriches and opened about where Tropico lies, an amusement resort known as the Ostrich Farm. Having provided a coach to connect with the end of Temple Street cable cars and advertised the strange peculiarities of his finely feathered animals, the doctor soon did a thriving business, notwithstanding the task of caring for the birds in their new environment. Later, Sketchley removed from Los Angeles to Red Bluff, but there he failed and lost all that he had. Soon after, Dr. Sketchley arrived here with his ostriches, and three or four men, and one woman from Madras, Edwin Coston, an Englishman now retired and living in Surrey, happening, while on a tour through America, to glance at an article in Harper's Magazine, pointing out the possibilities of successfully raising ostriches, returned to London, secured the necessary capital, and in 1887 began shipping these camel birds from South Africa to Los Angeles. Many of the easily affected creatures died at sea, yet forty, as good luck would have it, survived, and with them Coston and a partner named Fox opened a second ostrich farm at Washington Gardens. 
in time coston transferred his establishment to la habra associating with himself e h rydell as publicity agent and in 1908 the coston ostrich farm between los angeles and pasadena was incorporated quite naturally with the advent of the settler from the east and the middle west the zanjas in early years so serviceable both for domestic and irrigation purposes and therefore more or less venerable came to be looked upon as mere surface conveyors and public nuisances a sign in eighteen eighty three at the corner of sixth and olive streets warning teamsters against crossing the ditch by eighteen eighty five such opposition had developed that most of the zanjas were condemned the one extending from rakina street to adams via figueroa being if i am right one of the last that was buried from view for some time east los angeles maintained its character as a village or small town and in eighteen eighty five the east side champion started and edited by edward a weed voiced the community's interests this year was marked by the demise of a number of well-known angelenos on the second of march john schumacher a man esteemed and beloved by many died here of apoplexy in the seventieth year of his age six days later general phineas banning who had been sick for several months expired at san francisco his wife and daughters being with him and on march twelfth he was buried in rosedale cemetery in his declining years illness often compelled general banning to remain at home in wilmington and when needing the services of his physician dr joseph kurtz he would send a locomotive to fetch him on june fifth dr vincent gelchich the pioneer surgeon died here at the age of fifty-six years in eighteen eighty five the first medical school in los angeles was founded in the house once occupied by vache ferre the winemakers on aliso street between lyons and center for years the school was conducted as a part of the university of southern california and dr j p whitney as dean in the fall of eighteen eighty five dr m dorothea loomis a graduate in medicine of the boston university settled in los angeles and in time became president of the los angeles county homeopathic medical society distinguished in her profession dr loomis became a leader in humane endeavor reorganizing here the society for the prevention of cruelty to animals and founding the society for the prevention of cruelty to children the first train of the santa fe railroad to enter the city of los angeles ran from colton over the rails of the southern pacific on november twenty ninth the two corporations having come to an agreement to use the one set of tracks until the spring of eighteen eighty seven when the santa fe finished building from san bernardino to its junction with the los angeles and san gabriel valley railroad the locomotive bore the name l severi a prominent director in the company and the father of the well-known resident of pasadena and the number three hundred fifty four after twenty years association with the wholesale grocery business i withdrew on december fifth eighteen eighty five from h newmark and company and on that day the business was absorbed by m a newmark m h newmark max cohn and carl seligman and continued as m a newmark and company this gave me the opportunity of renewing my association with one of my earliest partners caspar cohn the new firm becoming k cohn and company and the change in my activities found me once again shipping hides and wool looking through the haze of years many are the recollections often vague it is true of those with whom i had business relations in the picturesque adobe days the majority of my customers were simple-mannered natives such as manuel carrizosa on south alameda street jose maria davila in sonora town next door to jose maria fuentes his competitor and m g santa cruz in the same district 
Jordan Brothers, Americans, kept store on Aliso Street opposite the Aliso Mill, and G. Ginocchio, father-in-law of James Castruccio, on Macy Street near the river, while Bernardino Guirardo, Mrs. John G. Downey's brother, and Max Schwed supplied the wants of Los Nietos. J. B. Savarotz, who went to South America when he sold out to J. Salaberry and Company, a firm composed of two Basques, Juan Salaberry and Domingo Oyarzabal, was in general merchandise in San Juan Capistrano. Hippolyte Cahen, whose widow is a member of the Lazarus Stationery Company, had an up-to-date general store at Anaheim, and Simon Cahen, son-in-law of Bernard Cohn, was similarly occupied in the Asusa district. Others of about the same period were Domenico Rivara, who established himself on Main Street near Commercial, shortly to be succeeded by Vignolo and Sanguinetti, in whose store, known as La Esperanza, and near Castruccio Brothers La Mariposa, Jim Moiso bought an interest. Two more Main Street merchants were A. C. Chauvin, who conducted his El Dorado store in the Lanfranco building, and his neighbor Joe Lazarovich and near them Francisco Vasallo had his little fruit stand. The erratic Lucas Sisich, who terminated his life as a suicide, attended diligently to business on First Street near Los Angeles, and not so very far away Thomas Strom was laying the foundation in his grocery trade for that popularity which caused him in the 80s to be chosen chief of the fire department. Antonio Valle, who built on the northeast corner of First and Los Angeles streets, calling the block in honor of his five sons the five brothers for a number of years had a grocery store on main street near raquina and not far from the butcher shop of vickery and hines in view of the ravages of time among the ranks of these old timers it is a satisfaction to observe that at least some of those who were active before i retired are still in the trade the first comer was george a ralph's who, reaching Los Angeles as a boy, learned brick masonry and was known as the champion bricklayer of California, until, while on a hunting expedition, he lost an arm. Footnote. On June 21, 1914, Mr. Ralphs lost his life in a deplorable accident in the San Bernardino Mountains, being crushed by a huge boulder, although his wife escaped by springing from the rolling rock. End footnote. With a man named Francis, he started, in 1877, the Ralphs and Francis Grocery, on the old Georgetown corner. This was the beginning of the Ralphs Grocery Company. In February 1882, Hans Jevny, a Norwegian by birth, who had been associated with his brother in Chicago, came to Los Angeles, and a few months later he opened a small grocery store in the Strelitz block at 38 and 40 North Spring Street. In less than no time, so to speak, the good housewives of the town were able to secure the rarest tidbits from all the markets of the world. And not only that, but Jevney, since his advent here, has been identified with most important steps in the evolution of the city. W. F. Ball, for thirty years or more, has been a tobacconist, and for thirty years, or somewhat less, has occupied the same premises on Spring Street, north of First. The Williams family came from England in 1882, and George soon established his grocery business out in what was then known as the University District, where he bought a block of land. George has given of his time for the public wheel, having been for several terms city councilman. Another Los Angeles merchant who has attained success is Albert Cohn, and while his start in life, in an independent career, began a couple years after my retirement, he had been in my employ as a clerk almost from the time of his arrival in 1882. 
marius blue has been located on south alameda street so long that it seems as though he must have arrived here in the year one so much for the merchants of the city among such tradesmen in the districts outside of los angeles i can recall but three active in my day and still active in this alphonse wheel a native of the sunny slopes of france has grown up with the town of bakersfield john r newberry opened his doors in eighteen eighty two and after moving to los angeles in eighteen ninety three commenced that meteoric career during which he established stores throughout los angeles and its suburbs george a edgar about thirty one years ago brought a stock of groceries and crockery to santa anna and deposited the contents of his cases in the same location and on the same shelves from which he still caters to his neighbors the great flood of eighteen eighty six reached its first serious state on january nineteenth all of los angeles between wilmington street and the hills on the east side was inundated levees were carried off as if they were so much loose sand and stubble and for two or three weeks railway communication with the outside world was impossible during this inundation on january nineteenth martin g aguirre who was a deputy under sheriff george e gard gave an exhibition of great courage so rapidly had the waters risen that many persons were marooned and it was only by throwing himself on the back of his favorite horse that aguirre at very great risk rescued twenty or more people from drowning the number including many children in the last attempt aguirre nearly lost his own life somewhat of a hero in november eighteen eighty eight he was elected sheriff defeating tom rowan for that office rebecca lee dorsey another of the early women practitioners of medicine came to los angeles in january eighteen eighty six a graduate both of eastern colleges and of a leading vienna hospital peddling vegetables as a child later working as a servant and hiring out as a nurse while finishing her course in europe dr dorsey was of a type frequently found among the early builders of the southwest largely to a board of commissioners consisting of mayor e f spence h sensibaugh and the ever-ready jake kurtz appointed in eighteen eighty six when provision was made for a paid fire department is due the honor of having successfully arranged the present excellent system in los angeles it was in eighteen eighty six that we bought the repetto rancho under circumstances of such interest that it may be well to tell something about the owner and his connections alessandro repetto was an italian of such immense size that he was compelled when standing to shift the weight of his body from one leg to the other he was miserly in the extreme but this was compensated for by his honesty and uprightness of character he was also far from being neat and i remember the way in which he dispensed hospitality when i visited his ranch to buy wool he would bring out some very ordinary wine and before serving it would rinse out the glasses with his fat fingers and it was courtesy alone that prompted me to partake of what he offered he lived on his ranch but when attacked by his last illness he took a room at the new arlington hotel formerly the white house on the southeast corner of commercial and los angeles streets there finding him alone and neglected i advised him to go to the sisters hospital on ann street but the change did not save him and after a few days he died a fellow italian named scotti a knave of a chap who was with him in his last moments knowing that i was repetto's executor soon brought to my house a lot of papers which he had taken from the dead man's pockets repetto being a recluse somewhat on the misanthropic order i had difficulty in getting pallbearers for his funeral one of my applications being to james castruccio president of the italian benevolent society and then italian consul who said that repetto had never helped anyone but that if i would give in his name five hundred dollars to charity the attendance would be supplied 
to this i demurred because repetto had made no such provision in his will and castruccio giving me no satisfaction i went to father peter explained to him that repetto had bequeathed six thousand dollars to the church and stated my needs whereupon father peter arranged for the bearers all the provisions for the funeral having been settled i cabled to his brother and heir then living in the mountains near genoa whose address i had obtained from castruccio repetto had really hated this brother and in consequence had very unwillingly bequeathed him his large estate in due season the brother a hunchback appeared on deck as an intimate with scotty and i found him to be an uncouth ignorant fellow and a man who probably had never handled a ten dollar gold piece or its equivalent in his life he had on shoes that an elephant might have worn a common corduroy suit a battered hat and plenty of dirt wishing to take him to stephen m white my lawyer i advised the purchase of new clothes but in this as in other matters i appealed in vain so miserly was he indeed that one day having purchased a five-cent loaf of bread in sonora town he was seen to hide himself behind a building while he ate it doubtless fearful lest someone might ask him for a bite alessandro repetto had lived with an indian woman by whom he had a son and a los angeles attorney soon had himself appointed guardian declaring that the property belonged not to the brother but to the boy this because the woman had never left her husband was blackmail pure and simple besides repetto had willed the lad some property in san gabriel stephen m white was the attorney for the estate but when this lawsuit started scotty advised the unsophisticated brother to take other lawyers two men accordingly one named roberts and the other jim howard suddenly appeared at the trial and when i asked why they were there they replied that they had been engaged by repetto's brother four hundred and seventy five dollars settled this extortion the lawyers taking all but twenty five dollars which was paid to the mother of the boy early in the morning a few days later either on christmas or new year's there was a knock at my door and when the girl answered the call the sheriff was found there with the interesting news that repetto had been arrested and that he wished me to bail him out i learned that robarts and howard had presented him with a bill for three thousand five hundred dollars for services and that since the money was not immediately forthcoming they had trumped up some sort of a charge that had had the foreigner incarcerated white advised a settlement and after much difficulty we succeeded in having their bill reduced to three thousand dollars which we paid repetto's troubles now seemed at an end but just as he was ready to leave for italy scotty put in an appearance with a claim for benefits bestowed which the much fleeced italian refused to pay scotty knowing along which road the unfortunate man would travel was early at san gabriel with the sheriff to intercept repetto and return him to limbo and the genoese being brought back he again appealed to me it was now my turn as executor to have an interesting inning with scotty while i was settling the estate i was made aware that repetto had loaned another italian named g bernero on his note some three thousand dollars but this document i missed and it was only by accident that i traced it to scotty he had abstracted it from the papers found in repetto's pocket carried it to the borrower and sold it back to him for four hundred dollars i recovered this note and collected the balance due nevertheless when scotty had repetto arrested i threatened the former with prosecution on the charge of stealing and selling the note with the result that scotty did not press his suit and repetto was released in connection with this move by scotty robarts and howard reappeared to defend repetto notwithstanding his previous announcement that he would have nothing more to do with them and to bolster up their claim they drew forth a paper certifying that repetto had engaged them to attend to any law business he might have while he was in this country 
Repetto, now really alarmed, once more quickly settled, but the crafty Robarts and Howard had another bill up their sleeves, this time for three or four thousand dollars, and poor Repetto was obliged to pay that, too. Caspar Cohn, J.D. Bicknell, I.W. Hellman, and S.M. White, in conjunction with myself, bought the Repetto ranch from the brother before he left for Italy for sixty thousand dollars. All in all, the heir, who survived the date of his windfall but a few years, carried away with him the snug sum of one hundred thousand dollars. This fine domain, lying between Whittier and Los Angeles, was apportioned long before 1899 among the five purchasers. In that year, Caspar Cohn and I, on the advice of William Mulholland, developed water on our undivided share, meeting with as great a success as had attended all of the operations of that eminent engineer. After an abundance of water was secured, we sold the property in five-acre and smaller lots, locating the town site of Newmark near the tracks of the San Pedro, Los Angeles, and Salt Lake Railroad, and naming the entire settlement Montebello. It was in the spring of 1886 that Colonel H. H. Boyce, who had been business manager of the Times Mirror Company, was bought out by Colonel H. G. Otis, and became editor-in-chief and general manager of the Los Angeles Tribune, conducting the paper during his short association with some vigor. One more reference to the Times Mirror Publishing House. On April 8th, the company was reorganized with Colonel H. G. Otis as president and general manager, Albert McFarland as vice president and treasurer, and William A. Spaulding as secretary. About the middle of July, the company bought the corner of Fort and First Streets, and in the following May moved to its new home erected there. On February 1st, 1887, the Times began to appear seven days in the week. After grinding away for ten years as the sole owner of the Los Angeles Herald, J. D. Lynch, in 1886, took into partnership his former associate, James J. Ayers, and once more the alliance of these puissant forces made of the paper a formidable bulwark for the democracy. Colonel John Franklin, or plain J. F. Godfrey, as he was known in those days, was rather a prominent attorney in his time, and I knew him very well. About 1886, as chairman of a Democratic committee, he headed up the delegation that invited me to become a candidate for mayor of Los Angeles, but a contemplated European trip compelled me to decline the honor. In the spring of 1886, a falling out between the Southern Pacific and the Santa Fe Railroads brought on a rate war, disastrous enough to those companies, but productive of great benefit to Los Angeles. Round-trip tickets from points as far east as the Missouri River were hammered down to $15, and for a few days, Charlie White, who then conducted the Southern Pacific office in the Baker Block and had full authority to make new fares, defied the rival road by establishing a tourist rate of just $1. When normality again prevailed, the fare was advanced to $50 for first-class passage and $40 for second-class. The low rate during the fight encouraged thousands of Easterners to visit the coast, and in the end many sacrificed their return coupons and settled here, while others returned to their eastern homes only to prepare for permanent removal west. In a sense, therefore, this railroad war contributed to the boom of a year or two later. Freight as well as passenger rates were slashed during this spasmodic contest, and it was then that the ridiculous charge of one dollar per ton permitted me to bring in by rail from Chicago several carloads of coal, which I distributed among my children. Such an opportunity will probably never again present itself to Los Angeles. Another interesting shipment was that of a carload of willow ware from New York, the freight bill for which amounted to eight dollars and thirty-five cents. 
these goods ordinarily bear a very high tariff but competition had hammered everything down to a single classification and rate i remember also that m a newmark and company brought from new york a train load of liverpool salt then a staple commodity here paying a rate of sixty cents per ton stimulated perhaps through the setting aside of elysian park by the city council another pleasure ground then known as east los angeles park was assured to the public toward the middle of the eighties the municipal authorities at the same time spending about five thousand dollars to improve the plaza one of the striking features of which was a circular row of evergreens uniformly trimmed to a conical shape on october fourteenth h t payne and edward records published the initial number of the los angeles tribune this being the first newspaper here to appear seven days in the week the following january a company was incorporated and for years the tribune was well maintained charles frederick holder the distinguished naturalist came to california in search of health footnote died on october tenth nineteen fifteen and footnote in eighteen eighty six and settled in pasadena where he was appointed professor of zoology in the throop institute an enthusiastic admirer of the southland and an early explorer of its islands and mountain ranges professor holder has devoted much attention to pasadena and the neighboring coast as early as eighteen ninety one he published antiquities of catalina later he wrote his spirited southern california book on life and sport in the open and with his gift for popularizing probably no other scientific writer has contributed more to make known both in america and abroad this attractive portion of our state prudent and victor beaudry bought considerable land on the west side of new high street probably in eighteen eighty seven including the site of one of the old calabozos and as some of the purchase was a hill he spent about one hundred thousand dollars grading the property excavating fifty thousand or more cubic feet of earth and building the great retaining wall finished in eighteen eighty eight four hundred and sixty five feet long and fifty feet high and containing two hundred thousand cubic feet of stone when he was ready beaudry began to advertise the superior merits of his land and i still have in my possession one of the flaring circulars printed in red ink including such headlines as these now is the time don't shut your eyes and turn your back and the following have a home on the hills stop paying rent in the valleys view from your own home the broad pacific the green hills and the model city best water supply drainage perfect best sunny exposures pure air and away from fogs have a home on the line of the great cable railway system mark your catalog before the date of sale february fifteen sixteen and seventeen at ten o'clock each day bear in mind that this property is on the hills and on the line of the cable railway system no such opportunity has ever been offered to the people of southern california public school and young ladies seminary in the immediate vicinity four years after he had built the nado block Remy Nadeau died here at the age of 68 on January 15th. The same month, another man of market enterprise, Llewellyn J., brother of Reese and William Llewellyn, founded the Llewellyn Iron Works, attaining a success and fame very natural, considering that the Llewellyn's father David and Uncle Reese before them had acquired a reputation as iron workers both in Wales and San Francisco. In January, Fred W. Beaudesart and John G. Hunsicker established the Weekly Directory, whose title was soon changed to that of The Commercial Bulletin. Under the able editorship of Preston McKinney, the Bulletin is still fulfilling its mission. 
Phineas, son of J.P. Newmark, my brother, came to Los Angeles in 1887 and associated himself with M.A. Newmark and Company. In July 1894, he bought out the Southern California Coffee and Spice Mills, and in the following September, his younger brother, Samuel M. Newmark, also came to Los Angeles and joined him under the title of Newmark Brothers. On December 26, 1910, the city suffered a sad loss in the untimely death of the elder brother. Sam's virility has been amply shown in his career as a businessman and in his activity as a member of the Municipal League Directorate. Among the hotels of the late 80s were the Belmont and the Bellevue Terrace, both frame buildings. The former, at the terminus of the Second Street Cable Railway, was known for its elevation, view, fresh air, and agreeable environment of lawn and flower bed, and the first floor was surrounded with broad verandas. For a while it was conducted by Clark and Patrick, who claimed for it no noise, dirt, or mosquitoes. The latter hotel, on Pearl Street near 6th, was four stories in height and had piazzas extending around three of them. Both of these inns were quite characteristic of Southern California architecture. The Bellevue Terrace, so full of life during the buoyant boom days, still stands, but alas, the familiar old pile has surrendered to more modern competitors. The Tivioli Opera House on Main Street between 2nd and 3rd was opened by McLean and Lehman in 1887, and for a time it was one of the attractions of the city. It presented a curious mixture of Egyptian, East Indian, and Romanesque styles, and was designed by C. E. Apollioni, an architect who had come to the coast in 1870. The stage was the largest except one, that of the San Francisco Grand Opera House, on the coast, and there were eight proscenium boxes. The theater proper stood in the rear of the lot, and entrance thereto was had through the building fronting on the street, and between the two structures there was a pretty garden with grottoes and fountains and a promenade gallery above. In February the postmaster packed the furniture and other outfit, only two or three good loads, and moved the post office to the Hellman building at the corner of North Main and Republic Streets, but it was soon transferred to an office on Fort Street south of Sixth, a location so far from the center of the city as to give point to cards distributed by some wag and advertising rates for sleeping accommodations to the new office. In that year, the sum total of the receipts of the Los Angeles post office was not much over $74,000. During the twelve months of the boom, mail for over 200,000 transients was handled, and a familiar sight of the times was the long column of inquirers, reminding one of the famous lines in early San Francisco when prospectors for gold paid neat sums for someone else's place nearer the general delivery window. I have told of some incidents in the routine of court proceedings here, in which both judge and counselor played their parts. Now and then the juror also contributed to the diversion, as was evidenced in the late 80s when a couple of jurymen in a San Gabriel Canyon water case created both excitement and merriment through a practical joke. Tiring of a midnight session and bethinking himself of the new invention to facilitate speaking at a distance, one of the jurors telephoned police headquarters that rioters were slashing at each other at a nearby corner, whereupon the guardians of the peace came tearing that way, to the merriment of the twelve good men and true peeking out from an upper window. The police having traced the telephone message, the jury was duly hauled before the judge, and the latter, noting the reticence of the accused, imposed a fine of $25 upon each member of the box for his prank. William H. Workman, who had repeatedly served the city as councilman, was elected mayor of Los Angeles in 1887. During Workman's administration, Main, Spring, and Fort Streets were paved. About 1887, Benjamin S. Eaton, as president, took the lead in organizing a society designed to bring into closer relationship those who had come to California before her admission to the Union. 
there were few members and inasmuch as the conditions imposed for eligibility precluded the possibility of securing many more this first union of pioneers soon ceased to exist professor t s c lowe with a splendid reputation for scientific research especially in the field of aeronautics having acquired his first experience with balloons as did also graf ferdinand zeppelin by participating in the union army maneuvers during our civil war took up in the late eighties the business of manufacturing gas from water which he said could be accomplished beyond any doubt for eight cents a thousand feet c f smurr the capable los angeles agent of the southern pacific railroad company as well as hugh livingston mcneil son-in-law of jonathan s slosson and then cashier of the main street savings bank became interested with Lowe and induced Caspar Cohn and me to participate in the experiment. Accordingly, we purchased six acres of land on the southeast corner of Alameda and 7th Streets for $15,000 and there started the enterprise. We laid pipes through many of the streets and in the course of a few months began to manufacture gas, which it was our intention to sell to consumers at $1 per thousand feet. The price at which gas was then being sold by the Los Angeles Gas Company was $1.50 per thousand, and we therefore considered our schedule reasonable. Everything at the outset looked so plausible that Smurr stated to his associates that he would resign his position with the railroad and assume the management of the new gas works, but to our chagrin, we found that gas was costing us more than $1 per thousand, and, as one discouragement followed another, Smurr concluded not to take so radical a step. Yet we remained in business in the hope that the Los Angeles Gas Company would rather buy us out than reduce their price 50 cents a thousand feet, and sure enough it was not so very long before they did. The large gas tank now standing at the corner of 7th and Alameda Streets is the result of this transaction. Late in the spring, Senator Stanford and a party of Southern Pacific officials visited Los Angeles with the view of locating a site for the new and magnificent railroad station long promised the city and at the same time to win some of the popular favor then being accorded the santa fe for many years objection had been made to the tracks on alameda street originally laid down by banning and hoping to secure their removal mayor workmen offered a right away along the river front this suggestion was not accepted at length the owners of the wolfskill tract donated to the railroad company a strip of land three hundred by nineteen hundred feet in size fronting on alameda between fourth and sixth streets with the provision that the company should use the same only for railroad station purposes and stanford agreed to put up a splendid arcade somewhat similar in design to but more extensive and elaborate than the arcade depot at sacramento soon after this the rest of that celebrated orchard tract for over fifty years in the possession of the wolfskill family was subdivided offered at private sale and quickly disposed of the old-fashioned one-horse streetcar had been running on and off the tracks many a year before the city railroad organized in the middle eighties by i w hellman and his associates w j broderick john o wheeler and others made its more pretentious appearance on the streets of los angeles this the first line to use double tracks and more modern cars with drivers and conductors followed a route then considered very long starting as it did at washington street and leading north on figueroa it turned at twelfth street into olive and thence zigzagging by way of fifth spring first main marchesol new high bellevue avenue buena vista college upper main and san fernando streets it passed river station the southern pacific depot on san fernando street and ran out downey avenue as far as the pasadena railroad depot the year 1885 saw the addition of another Spanish name to the local map in the founding of Alhambra, now one of the attractive and prosperous suburbs of Los Angeles. 
sometime in the spring of eighteen eighty five or perhaps a little earlier the second street cable railway was commenced when isaac w lord turned a spadeful of earth at the corner of second and spring streets and within a few months cars were running from bryson block west on second street over bunker hill along lake shore avenue and then by way of first street to belmont avenue soon bringing about many improvements on the route and if i am not mistaken considerable patronage came from the young ladies attending the boarding school known as belmont hall henry clay whitmer was a moving spirit in this enterprise in course of time the cable railway connected with the steam dummy line landing passengers in a watermelon patch the future hollywood unlike sierra madre so long retarded for want of railway facilities monrovia founded in may eighteen eighty six by william n monroe at an altitude of twelve hundred feet and favored by both the santa fe and the southern pacific systems rapidly developed although it did not attain its present importance as a foothill town until it had passed through the usual depression of the late eighties due to the collapse of the boom of which i am about to speak end of chapter thirty seven